Welcome to another episode of Bringing Down the Grindhouse, a podcast where we discuss horror in media, and tonight, grab your cameras, tune your police scanners, and remember, if it bleeds, it bleeds, as we discuss Nightcrawler. I'm Justine. <laughs> and I'm Jonathan. And it's just us two again tonight. Yeah, another episode where it's just us two. We're going to go a little more in depth, talk about how we were feeling about things, some questions about the particulars. Um, but before we do that, like Justine just mentioned, uh, Murr and Mitch are on a little vacation working on other projects. So you're just going to have us two. We may have another guest on for some of the other episodes that are coming in the future. And so what I'll start with is what we usually start with, which is some of the production notes. And so one of the cool things about this, released the same year as the last film we talked about. So Gone Girl and Nightcrawler were both released in the same year. Yeah, this was a fun year for film. Yeah, there's quite a lot of things that came out in the 2010s that were particularly, um, they were like touchstones for a lot of things that had happened in film during that time period. For me, this is kind of an underrated film for Jake Gyllenhaal. I feel like most people did not like this one. Um, it was written and directed by Dan Gilroy, who's pretty much only known for this movie, and also for Velvet Buzzsaw, which came out on Netflix. It was one of a, a Netflix original movie, which I've also seen, and it also stars Jake Gyllenhaal. And so it is also a horror film. So it seems that he's also leaning into going into horror films and possibly playing out yeah. a certain archetype. Uh-huh. One of the cool things about this movie was that it was promoted um, online. And the re- the way they did this was they created a um, fictional video resume for Lou, uh, the main character in this. And they put it up on Craigslist. <laughs> oh, interesting. When Craigslist was a thing. So at the time before the movie had come out, you could actually see real resumes for Lou who was looking to do stringer jobs. <laughs> that's an interesting way to do publicity mm-hmm. for a film. Kind of your viral marketing type thing. Yeah, and do something on a more uh, low-key website like Craigslist. Like you'd have to know a guy who was just like, hey, you should go look well, up this guy on Craigslist. At that time, Craigslist was very popular. Oh, was it? Yeah. In the 2000s and 2010s, people were using it pretty heavily. Yeah, at what point did it become like super sketchy? Um. Well... What had happened was you had your personal ads getting put up, a.k.a. your uh, sex worker type ads. And then they were not cool with that. And then the whole thing just pretty much got shut down because of that. Because there's too much illegal activity being connected to it. Oh, that sucks. Right. Yeah. Pretty much as soon as they discovered that sex workers were making money, they were like, nah. Yeah, same thing they Ugh. did with, uh, I think it was like Backdoor or Backpage, I think is the other one. Oh, yeah. They they shut it down for, for those reasons. That was the thing for Patreon as well at some point. Yeah, they had to change their rules to to say that you couldn't include like sexual content. Yeah. Besides the point, and it's, <laughs> but it is associated because it's uh, it has a lot to do with your portrayal of what you're looking at and sort of the ethics of what you're going to be doing. Um, it, of course, stars Jake Gyllenhaal, who we all know from some of his bigger movies, which is going to be Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> that's like one of the first ones i think that Iconic. was really his standout role um he's in zodiac he was a detective in zodiac yes he also recently played um mysterio in spider-man far from home also stars um renee russo who's actually uh gilroy's wife and the role for um she plays is the um the news anchor and this was written just for her um, you might recognize her as Frigga, who's Thor's mother in some of the Avengers films. Love her. And so uh, back in her day, she was a very popular model, um, did a lot of modeling for Vogue. And so she's just got that look, <laughs> even as an older character in this film. Um, there's Riz Ahmed, who you've seen in Rogue One. He was one of the uh, characters that helps them escape. Um, and then, of course, Bill Paxton, 
who we've seen in tons of movies like Aliens, Tombstone, True Lies, Apollo 13, Twister, Titanic. He's just been in a bunch of stuff. Yeah, no kidding. So long resume, and he's kind of like a powerhouse as far as actors go because he can really fit into anything. And he plays an amazing douchebag <laughs> in this movie, and I love seeing him. Um, Gilroy thought of this idea after reading the photo book Naked City by the American photographer Ouija. Yes, we are talking about <laughs> Ouija before. Yeah. So when you had first mentioned Ouija, I was thinking the name Ouija was spelled like Ouija board, mm-hmm. but it's W-E-E-W or W-E-E-G-E-E. Yeah. Oh. His his actual name is Arthur Usher Felling, but but he's better known by Ouija. And the Ouija was a part of a camera back in the day, right? Well, it was it was a tool you could use when you were editing or not editing, when you were developing film, mm-hmm. when you can kind of like get the excess a liquid off of it you would use a small little squeegee squeegee <laughs> a ouija squeegee yeah. that's so cute so there's a lot of names and alliteration but one of the things i like which hasn't been confirmed but it's a cool like urban legend type thing yeah is they just they thought that the ouija spelling was more similar to like a ouija board and the reason why is because they felt like he had some sort of prescience where he would know where bad things were going to happen because he would show up with his camera on crime scenes very often and he was usually there before some of the police was. And yeah. so he would get photos of crimes in progress. Sometimes. You know, on one hand, when you have large metropolises like Los Angeles yes. or New York City, I feel like if you just wander around certain areas long enough, you're going to see a lot of shit go down. Yeah. And so it's possible just to have come aco- across these places on happenstance. Yeah. But, you know, it is also possible that maybe he made like the nightcrawler and actually arrange some of these scenes to happen yes so it's highly relevant to the story because one it's based on him um it's based on the stringer profession which is what people do in los angeles and many main metropolitan areas which is the covering of news stories by selling footage of the actual event to news stations so they can show it to you on that nightly news right so they don't work in any sort of other way with the news uh station besides just obtaining the footage or are they involved in other ways which in a lot of ways is ethically questionable (laughs) on whether or not they can and should be recording these things which we'll definitely talk about more right but uh, at some point, I believe uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character started to play more of a prominent role within the studio. Yeah, he really pushes to become part of the production staff in the studio. He basically blackmails the anchor um, and like forces her into a sexual relationship, too, which they don't show on screen, but it's still fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> and like he really, really presses on that. And like they have a weird, awkward argument somewhere in the middle of the movie. I know, but we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> the The origin of this is highly relevant because this is where uh, Gilroy got most of his inspiration because he had not known of a movie that included this profession previously. And he always knew that photographers were doing this in New York and Los Angeles. It's how you got most of your street photography, your sort of people of New York style photography which became much more wholesome as people did it later on because it was just portraiture but in these cases you should go and look up ouija's work if you haven't seen it before because it's like really stark stuff like you get to see crimes in progress people fighting dead bodies like uh people walking around doing drugs sex workers like it is a lot of stuff what's interesting too is the time period that this takes place in. it's what the early 1900s oh it's the 1940s 1940s yeah and it's really kind of surreal because i i'm so used to seeing news images of crime in the modern day but seeing crime taking place in 1940s has a certain aesthetic to it that's almost cinematic 
when you look back on it, but was awful in the time and place. And I feel like it's interesting seeing this concept brought around again in a modern time because it's much more relatable to what we see every day, really. Yeah. I mean, it's it gets at the idea that we've always had skewed news, media that wanted to tell you something, and it was always something to scare you. I think this was one of the main things that always showed up in most of these things. You watch any of your nightly news, and it's almost always going to be danger. Watch out for this in your neighborhood. Like, don't yeah. go outside. Don't go to these places. Or the liquor store down the street from this white neighborhood was robbed at gunpoint. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's a point that they make in the movie is these televised crimes are only ones that happen close to privileged neighborhoods. Yeah. Not so much in the um, well, yeah, they, lower they, income they remark on this, that yes. they don't care about people of color getting killed. Yeah. When do they care about it? When someone gets shot in Granada Hills in Los Angeles, which is yeah. notoriously a rich neighborhood. Uh-huh. So it's like, there's just so much, there's a lot of layers to the film that I think are really great to kind of peel back and figure out why they did it that way. Uh, one of the main things that the director noted was that um, the main character, Lou, is an anti-hero, and he was purposely left without a backstory because the point of it wasn't to care about who he was. It was about what he was doing and whether or not that was something that you agreed with. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely making commentary on media, like what we're talking about, but also on capitalism on a whole. Why do people do these questionably eth- these ethically questionable things for money? And why are they willing to go to such lengths to make money in a city where so much violence happens or maybe doesn't happen? So mm-hmm. it's like this is one of those things that he wanted to get at. One of the cool things about um, the production was that Gilroy mentioned during one of his rehearsals with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal that he wanted the main character to be like a coyote. You can't actually find coyotes in Los Angeles, which is interesting. Yeah, that's a (laughs) wild idea to me because when I think of coyotes, I think of them being in, you know, more rural, uh, secluded areas. But yeah, I remember uh, last time we went to Los Angeles and we're hanging out on Sunset Boulevard, but a little more towards the east (laughs) at this like cute Italian restaurant. We're sitting outside. That was crazy. And there's a pack of fucking coyotes across the street, Mm -hmm. like running amok on the hill next to us that was kind of wild because we really ate like on the street yeah like like we were on the sidewalk outside of the restaurant and like you just see cars passing and like it was your typical los angeles street (laughs) yeah it wasn't a particularly wide street it was quite average and um dirty that was a surprise (laughs) because that place was so good yeah the food was delicious (laughs) a small Um, italian restaurant but yeah, that's wild. That it was a pretty suburban area. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't really um, far out there or yeah. anything. And here's a pack of coyotes running up and I've down. I've seen coyotes so much here in California. Yeah. Um, especially when I lived on Camp Pendleton with my oh, parents. Oh yeah, big because time. Because it's just there's so much open area. Yeah. That they're able to live in. Uh, growing up, I lived near a canyon, and uh, connecting to this canyon was some sewer pipes and weren't being used anymore but were still accessible yeah and past those sewer pipes was a lake and like a national park reserve oh and so the fucking coyotes would travel through the sewer pipes to get into the neighborhood and a few so punk rock though i know right (laughs) i love that but a few times we've had like coyote packs in the neighborhood at night and Mm -hmm. you can hear them yapping and howling yeah that sound is very particular a few times they've chased my cats up trees i know poor things i feel like a cat would beat them up though but yeah no i feel like coyotes are coyotes are an interesting phenomenon that you see in these uh, southern california cities weird behavior as far as animals go 
And I think he mentioned this particularly because um, most coyotes usually have a really like big sense of hunger. They're almost insatiable most of the time and they're always looking for food. And so he wanted his character to be this way. And he told Jake Gyllenhaal this and he took it really seriously. So he lost a ton of weight to be this character going as far as to only eat a few salads <laughs> every now and again. And like, he really dropped the weight like crazy. And people said that he was into it. Like he must be a method actor. Uh, so he's like wanting to change his physical appearance for it. And he just went full, <laughs> full in on it. Yeah. That's something that always really impressed me about actors commitments to their roles is their willingness to change their body shape yeah. or requirement to change their body shape for certain roles. Whether yeah, that sometimes be, it's required. Yeah, whether that be gaining a couple pounds of muscle or losing a couple pounds of body weight in general. Well, apparently this was really concerning for a lot of the uh, production members who were like, this is really unhealthy for him to be doing something like this. But the director noted being a director and being kind of narcissistic that because Jake Gyllenhaal didn't ask him to change the script that he let him do anything that he wanted in the acting department as far as like oh you want to like starve yourself fucking go for it if it's going to help your performance so questionable but still gave yeah. the performance that you see in the film which is like stunning for a character of his type because previous to this he was like your kind of heartthrob character yeah, that you he would see was and stuff. Like the hero. He was always you know? a hero. <laughs> he carried this certain sort of charisma yeah. and presence. And in this movie, he has this very Sorry. almost like meek kind yeah. of attitude towards him. Um, but yeah, just generally very creepy, kind of uh, secluded. Just the one thing I'd say is maybe not quite like a coyote, because I know coyotes yeah. to hang out in packs, but they also are known to roam around on their own. They'll sometime. roam on their own, yeah. Um, something that's interesting is that uh, Riz Ahmed was one of seventy-five actors who auditioned for that role, and when he asked the director to audition for it, the director is like, "You're not the person for it," but let him do the audition anyway, just because he knew him does the audition and he's like you're it and he got the uh, he got the role because of that audition so this is one of those moments where he convinced him that he was he was the person for the role and then uh this one felt weird to me but um i guess to prepare for the role he met with people at skid row like he went and hung out with homeless people and i don't know yeah. something about that rubs me the wrong way of like actors being like i need to know what the role is like of being homeless so they go and yeah. meet with homeless people i mean it's just it kind of goes to show the difference in class and yeah. upbringing of certain people is a lot of times people who are getting these roles in these major movies already have lived in higher society worlds. Yeah. And it makes the transition a lot easier for them and more accessible. But anyways, they're sort of out of touch with this aspect of reality. And so it requires them to make little field trips, basically, to yeah. Skid Row. Apparently to a go, bunch of the actors went and did that. Yeah, to go do research, which is like, I don't know, it's it's kind of disrespectful in a way. Let's hope that they paid these people well for their time yeah. at the very least. There wasn't much else I could find about what exactly they were doing. I'm sure. So yeah. it's just one of those things. But they did mention it, and it was something that was interesting because... Um, his character is obviously low on cash, probably homeless, and is trying to get money. He has the unfortunate luck of meeting Lou, who completely takes advantage of their situation. Um, the role of Nina specifically was written for his wife. And he's one of those directors that's like, I love my wife. I'm going to put her in my movie. Reminds <laughs> me of Rob Zombie. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about this where he's like, my wife's hot. I'm putting her in everything. 
and just put her in every movie that he's ever made. Um, in this Good case, for him. yeah, in this case, he wrote the uh, the role just for her. And he felt like nobody else would be able to play it besides her. And so she does a really good job as this character. And so them two as the two main characters is amazing to see with each other. The filming, they filmed in 80 locations in Los Angeles, which is nuts. Yeah, that's wild to think about. We were talking about this earlier because I asked if they had received permission to film in some of these locations. And it's likely that not all of these locations. Los Angeles is very finicky, too, about where they let you film stuff because it's the like filming capital of the world so they're just like eh, maybe and you have to get all the permits but in most cases people really just go out there and film stuff yeah um and in this case i believe they got clearance for most of the stuff but um if you're from los angeles you'll recognize quite a lot of it when you're watching it you're like i know where that is i know where these places are um a lot of the businesses they showed are very much businesses have been around for a long time and this is kind of a little like niche that i really like about films is getting to see a real life place up close and personal because a lot of times when you have films that are done in a major city say like new york you only really see manhattan and at that the very like iconic areas of manhattan are the places you get to see but in this case you're seeing another side of los angeles you're seeing it from like the street level the back street level. oh yeah street level and all at night yeah. With the exception of a few scenes during the day. Yeah. And that was something I think that really added to the general aesthetic and feel of this movie was that yeah. it was majority taken or filmed at night. It felt Hence like the um, night crawler. Right. Yeah. It's such a good name for the film, not only because of what he does, but because it really gets the vibe for what's happening. It gives you the aesthetic of like when you're in a room, you're watching the news and the only light is from the TV. That's what I felt like when I was watching this. Oh, God, I remember that feeling <laughs> so well. Up late at night mm-hmm. watching like George Lopez on my little <laughs> dial television. Yes. Uh, and this is uh, this is definitely getting into the era of like, how was news shown? How are they recording it? And in this case, he has to get like a camera, a professional camera. We'll talk more about it. Um, one of the last things I wanted to mention was that technically the film wasn't finished when they first showed it at the uh, the Keynes Film Festival. In 2014, they showed an unfinished version, and yet they still had people wanting to bid to distribute it. So there's like a bidding war for this movie between A24, Focus Features, Fox Searchlight Pictures, Open Road Films, and the Weinstein Company. That's kind of wild. How often do you see a bunch of major production companies fighting over a film like that? They had watched a non-finished version of the film and were like, this is amazing. Like, we have to get it and distribute it. They did eventually finish and you get to see the version now. I believe they released the version they showed at the festival on a special edition, like DVD. Uh So you can go and watch it. It was longer. Um, So they actually cut it down because they felt like some of the ending bits was too long. But I wouldn't have been mad about a longer version of this movie. Me either. I was so immersed into this film when I was watching it. And uh, this film holds a special place in my heart because I remember I was a senior in high school And we had the option for English classes of taking like a special English class. And so I took film uh, literature. Oh, okay, cool. And my teacher actually recommended we go and watch this film. And she said it was one of the best thriller slash horror films she had seen in quite a long time. And for 2014, I would say that this definitely was a kind of uh, unique movie in and of itself. Yeah, it was much darker and grittier than what you might have seen coming out around that time period and it was also kind of sim- it was simplistic and also believable like i could believe that someone yes. like this 
exists somewhere out there. There's nothing that was too grander. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just out of ordinary. Of well, this even person. the car chase scene towards the end could totally happen. Yeah. It wasn't like they were doing anything crazy. So like this kind of stuff, all of it, watching it through, I think this is what made it really interesting to watch was because like, yeah, I, this could totally happen. And not only that, you have the paired believability of these characters with these raw footage of yeah. the streets. You know, yeah. there's no set design. There's no oh yes. uh, crafted locations in this case. It's all about the camera in this case. Mm-hmm. I know they used some production stuff, lights here and there, but for the majority of the lighting, they had to use what was ambient and what was there, and it was all on the cinematographer. Mm. Ambient is a good word to describe the general atmosphere of this yeah. movie because it seems almost dreamlike. Like yeah. you're in a lulled state, it also well, it helps. surreal a lot of Yeah, points. it helps too that it takes place at night, but the general soundtrack for this film is kind of synthy. It's very droney yeah. in a way, you know, very ambient. It um, feels like when you're like contemplating things yeah. for a long while. It felt like that to me. Yeah, being in sort of like a murky headspace almost is what it feels like. I feel like that was intentional, but I, I'll have to think on it a little more. The last thing is uh, the budget was $8.5 million, um, and the box office, they made $50 million. Good for them. So good amount of money. Yeah. Not as popular as I thought it'd be just because of the material that's in it. Um, of course, we, I mentioned as Jake Gyllenhaal, Rene Russo, Riz Ahmed, Bill Paxton, but it also has Kevin Rahm as Frank Cruz, Michael Hyatt as Detective Frontieri, and Anne Cusack as Linda. So these are interesting people because they get brought in on the side. The detective is like convinced that he's done something wrong, but like she can't charge him with anything. And this is like one of the craziest things that you see for the way a story plays out. But right from the top, what stood out to you? Like you mentioned, you started talking about the way it looks and how it felt to you. Yeah, that's a big thing about me in movies is the stylistic components of the film. And there's a very consistent mood throughout the film. Yeah. It's generally very dark. um, Fluorescent was a word that I was thinking of. Well, they knew their setting. They like, they knew this is Los Angeles. This is nighttime. This is thriller. And you got all of those in the tone and setting. And this is like, all that came together really aesthetically yeah, well. Yeah, it's a perfectly wrapped package yeah. down to the way it sounds, the way it looks. You can almost make up the details of how it smells when you get really into oh, right, like yeah. some of these dirty streets, you know. I um I really liked the way the camera was used because it wasn't these like very big shots ex- with the exception of your landscapes where they're giving you an introduction to where the city's at. Yeah, it was pretty intimate, yeah. but you were I, there with them yeah. next to them. And I did like the sort of juxtaposition of these like rolling street shots and wide shots of yeah. the scenery. Um, kind of added to that, I don't know, almost dreamlike lull. Like you kind of just end up from one place to another. And- well, in a lot of ways, you're going along with them for their jobs, the stringer job of finding what's going on. You don't see much in between that, though. No. So this is what's great about it is that you get a very limited view of who they are and what they're doing. And you're only going on these uh, little things. So you get no backstory for either character, for any character, really. And it doesn't really give the space to care about the characters yeah. for more than just the jobs that they do, which I think is an interesting thing that happens in a lot of 
places when it comes to jobs like these is you kind of have to detach your personal self from the job that you yes. do. So this is one of the, it's, it's highly rated by, uh, God, not, uh, I'm losing the, the, the word for it. The people, film critics, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking assholes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fucking assholes. Uh, film critics loved it. They felt like it was sharp critique about modern day media, uh, specifically about consumer culture and what it says about modern news. Um, so we mentioned before, which we'll talk about now, is that media that is made for your city, so your local channel, almost always does fear mongering and almost always will show you violent media. It's clickbait. Yes. It's OG clickbait. Yeah. And so this is something that plays out in the movie when she tells him, like what we mentioned earlier, if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. Because that is the thing they want to show people. They want them to be afraid and they want them to turn to that news channel for all information. And they want them to keep coming back to the news channel for updates on the situation. They want to know, is it safe? To go outside and, you know, in most cases, yes, it, it's always been right. safe to go outside. But, you know, when you have such a limited perspective of what goes on in other parts of the city and your only perspective of that is what you see on news channels, you tend to believe it. Yeah. I think of um, particularly older people oh, that spend a lot yeah. of time at home and don't really do a whole lot of going out or traveling around much. Mm-hmm. They have a very limited perspective about what the world or even their neighbor's city looks like yeah my grandparents late 60s early 70s every single night they have the nightly news on yeah it's like 11 p.m or something like that they'll be in bed together and they'll watch the news and i remember this as a kid because i'd come in and see whatever they're watching and it's always scary like there was never anything nice on this news it was always like oh here's another shooting here's another shooting this person got stabbed in their home like just crazy stuff that would happen in los angeles because it was the collection of every bad thing that had happened that day. And they did this because they wanted you to come back, like you had mentioned. So I think this says a lot about how the media is trying to control us and our views on things that are happening. Yeah, and control us more in a way to get us to consistently consume. Because if they keep that fear stimulating us, we're going to want to resolve it somehow by getting more information. So we'll keep coming back to these news channels and then, oh, look, there's a brand new breaking story of something else awful that happens and now we have to keep up with that. But it's really a shame too because there's so many wonderful things that happen throughout the city to individuals, to small communities, to companies that we never hear about because it's just not something that people are interested the same way they are in hearing these awful stories and it's really sad but it also you know the numbers show people don't consume media that is uplifting and happy as much as they do media that is uh, awful this is your feeling when you can't look away from a car crash yeah and i've had this explained a lot of times and i guess i sort of believe this too is that Uh, People, in a way, feel good about themselves by not being in the situation that the people they see on news or on TV are. thank God it's not me. Yeah, it's almost a relief that it's happening to someone else and not them. That's why people love consuming horror movies and thrillers because they get to see these awful situations yeah and reality (laughs) tv at that too they get to see these tense situations unroll that they don't have to be a part of themselves and they can live vicariously through these if they want to i hadn't considered that sometimes people might be watching it as sort of a relief thing where it's like, oh, these things are happening to somebody else and I can just watch. And I want to say, okay. like, this is on a very deeply subconscious level. People right. aren't actively thinking about yeah. this. But 
nevertheless, it's something that these broadcasting companies are profiting off of. Is this, this subconscious need? This makes me think about how people respond to public tragedies that are shown on popular media or on, um, say, like your Fox News, your CNN type. Everyone wants to be a part of it somehow. They want to be a part of it, but most often they don't do anything about it. They will usually do the thoughts and prayers bullshit. Thoughts and prayers, (laughs) or they get a cute little border on their Facebook profile. Yeah, this is it. Or like in the Ukraine instance, people change their profile photo to the Ukrainian flag. Do you remember when everybody was just changing their profile picture to just a black square? Oh, yeah, (laughs) for Black Lives Matter. I can't. It's kind of funny to me how many white girls I went to school with that I saw do that. <laughs> yeah, but like that was it. But that they would never in a class conversation oh, no. have anything to say about any sort mm-hmm. of racial or political topics that would yeah. come up. So little to say on either side, but, you know, they still want to participate in these social yeah. media trends and show that they care and about the uh, more that they're aware of yeah. these tragic events that happen. Not necessarily that they care. Yeah, that they're aware. Well, this also makes you think about how we now have consumerism and capitalism digging into certain events, say Pride Month that just ended. Oh, where yeah. you've got your rainbow capitalism of them changing their uh, profile pictures, doing sales and stuff like that. And so this happens most often because they want you to buy something. And so it's like, how does media get shown to you? We now are targeted by our algorithms on our yeah. phones that listen to us and, like and show us certain things. These communities that they are targeting for their marketing are communities that have suffered extensively. Right. And are just now getting some sort of justification or righting of wrongs that have been done to them for so many decades and centuries. And, you know, what do they get? They get a cookie. Yeah. They get literally an Oreo rainbow cookie. So <laughs> so then I'm really curious about what you think. So what do you feel about the sort of ethics and the morality of covering such violent news? And like, are, are the networks at fault for showing us such a skewed view? Is the person who sold them the stuff at fault for something like that? Because they're think, involved with such a thing? I think it's completely unnecessary to show violent footage right. on public media point blank period there's no reason for it besides scaring people yeah definitely i mean yeah there's there's they they like to show violent stuff with like blurred stuff thing yeah you could just as easily describe a situation and it would be just as violent as just as striking but having that visual element to it that gets burned into your memories basically i remember the first time When I was really young, I think I was in high school, and this is when the Ferguson protests were going on, and I saw a video on Tumblr of some protesters that were just walking back to their car, and police were, like, shooting tear gas, and it was a really striking video, and I'm glad that I watched it, but at the same time, like, it was so powerful, like, I started crying, Yeah, and I was honestly, like, that image stayed with me for a long time, and it's one thing to see that once or twice but to see it consistently every single evening for hours on end can really do something to change a person it makes them more callous and more um detached depersonalized almost to this violence a lot of so we i feel like our generation has a very weird relationship with violent content because one it was included in so many forms when we got the internet and it was basically unrestricted access to certain websites that would show violent content, but also because certain media news outlets didn't really filter things when they first came out. Right. And, and so you would just get it 
would pop up for you. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. I actually don't have anything against violent media. Right. But I don't think violent media should be portrayed on public news and public broadcasting channels in general. Yeah. Things that are shown as real life notable events that are happening it's only violence that changes a person's outlook about the community that they're in and gets them to act a certain way versus seeing violence in a movie or violence in a video game you know that it's not real and there's already right. a sort of detachment depersonalization that goes on there well it's but desensitized it's, it's, a lot of yeah people. it's desensitized but when you see it in a case where it's something that's happening in your community you know there's yeah. all of a sudden this different sort of um validity given to that violence oh yeah definitely i think in a lot of ways they're trying to make it so that the people who are watching are scared and that they are then easy to have their minds change about something political and so a lot of uh politicians know that if they get a certain audience to feel a certain way that they'll then vote to or for or against whatever uh, policies they're trying to put forth which can include such things as gun laws or anything that has mm -hmm. to do with just your general rights. <laughs> and like we've now gotten into this era of where we kind of like, I don't know how Americans are going to deal with the fact that we now know American politics is a joke. Yeah. <laughs> and like we just can't really make that much of an influence. Honestly, I don't even know where to start with American politics. And so I'm not going to start with American <laughs> politics. The reason why we're bringing this up is because this is directly related to media and how it's portrayed because media plays a big part in how we see your politicians and other people like that. And so this goes all the way down to the very base level of who's selling this content. And in this case, Lou's selling it to people. And so I, I, I think at this point, I want to know, what do you think about Lou? Is he truly an anti-hero in this story? And are you actually happy at his success when he's first starting to do it? I feel like he's the archetype of the sort of fallen hero or fallen warrior because i do believe that he had purely um curious intentions to start with mm -hmm. going on this media journey but at some point i think he got consumed by the amount of violence he was personally taking in on a regular basis and it changed him in a way that caused him then to be comfortable committing acts of violence and allowing them to happen. I would argue that he has always been morally ambiguous. Hmm. And the reason why I say that is because, one, he, he starts with stealing stuff. We know that he's been stealing fencing, manholes, things like that to sell. So he's okay with stealing stuff. Not only that, he steals the watch off the guy that he beats up. So he's okay with doing illegal things. And I think that that sort of sets up your baseline for where he's at what he's willing to do for money. Here's my thing about stealing, though. Is it's if different, right? <laughs> it is different because he is not a wealthy person. Right. As far as we know, he's probably living in poverty. Well, he's living in a cheap apartment. Yeah. And, and so see it. I'm not trying to justify stealing, but I would not say that someone is an evil person simply for stealing. Right. Well, that's a hard one because obviously I would say the same. Like if you want to steal from a large corporation, like fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I would say that this shows that he is morally ambiguous more yeah. than anything else. But you'd kind of have to be to get into this right. line of work in the first place. I do agree with you, though, that at some point there's a turning point yes. for his character, which I think is probably when he adjusts the body for the 
for the correct camera angle and yeah. she's like this is amazing like where did you get this there's there's something there's a line that gets crossed yes. when you handle a dead body in a certain amount of disrespect yes. and handling a dead body to pose it perfectly for a video oh, that you can sell for profit to a news company there is just something so wrong about that. It feels wrong. Like you're it's, watching it yeah. and you're like, oh, like you feel kind of like ick about it. <laughs> yeah. It's the desecration yeah. of someone's corpse. Like, right. That's not cool. And I, I feel like there's curses that are, I'm so superstitious. And I feel like this too. I feel like there's a lot of curses. I mean, there's a lot of, um, especially in Egyptian culture, um, certain, I guess you could call them norms around handling yeah. death. And certain things you simply do not do, like going into somebody's grave and stealing their shit. Curse on your whole family, on your whole lineage. Yeah, I don't know why we insist on digging up all the Egyptian burial sites and it's like got shit on it that's like, do not open. And they're like, let's open it. And yeah, like, oh, and it's God. got like 50 fucking doors and they're like, let's yeah. see what's at the end of all of uh, them. It's crazy because they, they opened up a, a tomb not too long ago that still had uh, traps that were active gnarly i was like oh my god so they indiana jones that shit yeah. i wonder who figured out that the traps were working uh, yeah <laughs> me too i was like oh no because they didn't even describe what kind of traps they were i, was like, I know oh. i bet you i bet you someone got got and that's why they didn't give too many details you imagine you get poisoned and it's like a fucking 2000 year old poison and you're like oh fuck and they have no antidote because they have very little information yeah. about this ancient poison kind of wild <laughs> that sucks what a way to go but hey that's that's the curse um i mean yeah i feel like so so as far as so this adds in a lot to the tone and setting for the film right um i feel like you're watching it and you're like there's lines he's gonna cross but you're not sure and then as he gets there you're like no he's not gonna do it and then he does it and you're like oh no and it, it starts to get this mounting feeling of uncomfortable um like you you're now a witness to his whatever he was doing and and everything that he was a part of and so you're like you don't know how to feel about his character especially because you know nothing about him you just yeah. know that he's only doing this job right and, and he so feel really bad for his his partner yeah because we at least know a little bit about his partner's like life and backstory at least enough to know why he was taking this job in the first place but as for Hall's character, we know nothing of his backstory or his yeah. personal life. And so there's no grounds to really feel for him at all. Yeah, you really, really don't care. And I think that was done on purpose. One of the harder things for me was uh, placing this into a genre. So like I've seen it listed as a bunch of different stuff from thriller to dark comedy, drama, horror, even neo-noir. I was about to say, I feel like it feels like a... It, I don't know. It reads like a noir to me. It does to me too. But you like, have yeah. a fucking femme fatale character. You have the woman at the TV broadcasting station. I guess she is sort of a version of I it. Would, yeah. She's a MILF. I would so <laughs> consider her a MILFy femme fatale. Well, femme fatales, I think... Oh, God, that's a hard one because... But she's yeah. not a fatale at the same time right. because she doesn't have the same, she doesn't have the same dominance power. of yeah. the situation as a femme fatale typically would. So that's difficult. But, they are but at the same time, like they in are romance. involved. She is this sort of like very feminine, seductive, dark right. character. And 
there's the aspect of crime, obviously, yeah. that is involved with this. We have an investigation. We have detectives. Well, they have a lot of situations where they have to kind of test their morals, right? Like right. when he gets the Granada Hills footage in the mansion where he goes in and sees dead bodies she calls in a girl and is like what can we show and i feel like that's a major element of film noir is the judgment and morals aspect right. well because they were usually detective stories yes and they involved crime and mm -hmm. so this is definitely fitting into the neo-noir but specifically neo because this isn't yeah. following the classic archetypes i would say neo-noir thriller is the best yeah. way i could package this film but i feel like even that doesn't necessarily do it justice because yeah it's also urban and gritty at the same time yeah so this struck me as um a sort of gothic movie yes. whether that's uh, a new genre that people might use such as like your city gothic because there's suburban urban gothic. gothic there's urban gothic yeah. which i think would work for this too because of of what goes on in the story and how it only takes place in a in an area where like you don't see any nature like there's no it's not really any plants trees like you kind of only see it in the, some of the neighborhoods you get, like palm trees yeah you know those artificial ash please eh. <laughs> <laughs> i can't even say it artificial what artificial ass trees oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so so one of the final questions i think i have for you or one of the final two is so how did you feel about watching it like was it uncomfortable like did you feel weird about him capturing the stuff that he did because like for me this is like a car crash i couldn't look away i felt awful watching it at certain points and then i was like no this is like terrible i felt like i was watching someone hit rock bottom oh, but like continue to like smash into rock bottom oh yeah like it felt like serious depression and yeah othering in well, a way it felt for me it felt really like voyeuristic like yeah. you knew these things There's were that happening too. i just felt like a creep yeah you know i felt like i was watching someone i sh something i shouldn't yeah and i think that was one of the bigger things for me too mm -hmm. you get this sense of oh, I shouldn't have seen certain parts of this because it's like not only questioning his ethics, but yours as well for watching it. And I think that was one of the better things about the film is how it made you feel. Because oftentimes people ignore that whenever they're watching stuff. How does something make you feel? And if a thriller can make you feel uncomfortable and like you might have done something wrong, then it's done well in showing the narrative and how much you care about that main character. And so... One of the things I was curious about then was what does it say about us, about society at large, about us consuming the violent content and not really doing anything to change it? I would say... Like, people like violence. Yeah. <laughs> In a way, I almost want to say that public consumers are addicted to troubling and violent media. Yeah. I think we've gotten to a point where we're so used to consuming it that we look forward to it almost. I and feel like this is also a sort of American thing. I think it's the participation of it all is uh, showing your grief for something and having people also share in that oh, grief. There's almost like a weird bonding aspect to it of a bunch of strangers who have no attachment to a situation at all feeling sorry about the situation and feeling personally involved somehow. I feel like at it's, this point, the United States, all of the poor people in the U.S. are just getting trauma bonded because of all the terrible shit that keeps yeah, happening. Yeah, and it's it's such a weird thing as a whole to have this interesting communal trauma bonding happening through the news. But yeah. 
we're not getting proper therapy for our trauma, oh, you know. So yeah, everyone's just really. kind of neurotic right now. That's fair. Because of I don't want to blame it entirely on the media. Of course, this is a piece to a larger puzzle, but I'd say it's still a major player in this um, interesting time we find ourselves in America. So then, favorite scenes? Did you? I, I'm sure there was more than one, but what was one that like really stood out to you? You're like, holy shit! I think it was the mansion scene. Yeah, where he comes upon an actual murder. Yeah, he comes upon a crime in progress. Or I think it's a triple murder. Yeah, and uh, C is the bad guys entering the place, doesn't call the cops, doesn't let his partner know what's going on, and just starts rolling, allows the guys to escape, doesn't get footage of their license plate or anything about them, really, and then proceeds to go into the home, which is now an active crime scene, take photos and videos of what just happened and then call the cops and then call his partner. And I don't know, there's something that is so violating. I mean, let's be honest, even if he did call the cops, um, they probably wouldn't have gotten in there in time to do anything. Right. And he himself is a pretty like weekly scrawny character. And he, <laughs> there's no way he could defend he a home. He was not trying to save anyone. Yeah, really. he, he was in no position to be able to save someone. So on one hand, what can you do? It's kind of a hopeless situation. Well, on the other hand, again, there's that line being crossed is going into a place of death right as it's happened yeah and he doesn't care something so violating about that definitely one of the scenes that makes you feel terribly uncomfortable one of the thing one of the scenes that i thought was just crazy to me was either when he sets up the two men in the restaurant to be caught and he chases them but also the scene that follows where he's directly responsible for his partner getting shot and he films him yeah, that's gnarly. He films him and he knows that he's not dead yet and he films him dying and then he cuts it so that it looks like he's already dead and then shows it to people and then even the detective knows he's done something wrong but she can't charge him and you just know that he's gotten away with it and continues to do that job and then you have the really chilling moment of when he hires interns and says, yeah. you know, I wouldn't make you, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do myself which is crazy because he would do just about anything. But he also gets the other stringer when he cuts his brake lines. Oh, yeah. And sets him up to fail. That was another thing. He took out one of his competitors, basically. Yeah. And fucking murdered him. So he gets, he really crosses a line once that first body is moved. And then he realizes that he can get away with quite a lot. And he comes very, very involved with getting the money. Yeah. So he's like, he's loving all the money he gets. He gets a new car. And so he he very much was in it for the money and for the prestige of knowing that he's the one that captured it. Yeah. And so just an amazing performance all around for Jake Gyllenhaal and that something like that. Yeah, really, really well done performance from him. What Completely kind of believable. Do you have for it then? Um, honestly, I give this movie a really high rating. I want to give it like a nine point five. I honestly don't have many complaints about it. Um, I don't know the point five. I don't know where it's coming from exactly. There's just something about the movie that still feels a little unfulfilling. I think maybe it was the ending for me. As chilling as it was to see him training interns, it was almost like comical in a sense, which I don't think was the intention, but that's how it read for me. It did come off as a bit comical. And so it kind of broke the general feeling that the movie had kept throughout it. It was very serious, almost very stoic. 
um, there's something about it that was just sort of no nonsense, oh, even okay. though it's kind of a ridiculous situation to be in um, as someone who's going out and catching films of crimes. But even still, I don't know. The ending just felt a little weird to me. Other than that, I have no complaints about this movie. I love this movie. This is one <laughs> of my like top movies. Yeah, I've seen it quite a there. few times and I'm not a person who likes to rewatch movies? Yeah, you really don't rewatch. And that. I've probably seen this movie maybe like three or four times. I'm a serial rewatcher of films. Yeah, I, know. I watch stuff over and over and over and over. There's a short list of films that I would ever consider rewatching. Oh wow, that's okay. yeah. Um, the top on my list is Avatar. You're talking about the with the, the blue with people. James Cameron. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know what it is. I know not everyone liked the movie, but there's something so mystical about that movie anyways we're not talking about people that movie are right hating now. on it but that one used the the your sort of hero's journey and it made it like exactly to it perfectly. oh yeah that's why people like it so best much. believe we're talking about the sequel when yeah it comes out well I'm, we should talk about the first one like in our sci-fi corner we should <laughs> we'll totally talk about it yeah future episodes yeah. for this for this movie i give it a 10 really this is one of those rare instances where i feel like it's exactly what it needed to be for the the setting and the tone that you were getting. And to me, this is just a slice out of what his whole life was, which is this job that he's doing. But also, he's just one of many people who are doing this job in the city. And so they really condensed the story down from a larger to a much smaller story. And this story is just one of many. And I think that was the point, is that the consumer culture is never going to stop. The violence is never going to stop. And that's why you have the continuation of him training new people, because he's going to show other people to be morally disingenuous yeah. about what they were doing and it's honestly a very believable situation yes. that a lot of these um people that have worked in the industry for a long time have a certain callousness about them but they also have yeah. probably done a lot of morally questionable things in order to get into their position Yeah, exactly and then they've gone on and taught these morally questionable choices yeah. to, to their, their subordinates <laughs> yeah and it creates a certain culture within yeah. these industries, which yeah. we've talked about many a time uh, when it yeah. comes to things, aspects of Los Angeles and Hollywood as a whole. Right. I'm also a huge fan of the pacing. Yeah, um, I, feel I was like going to say that. They got right into it. You got to see the way his character sort of evolves a little bit and what the things he's willing to do to get the money and to continue with the story. But it, it pushes not only his character, but you when you're watching it. And I think that's what's most effective about it is that it questions your own ethics when you're watching it. And how you feel while watching it is something that's interesting because a lot of films don't do that. You know, you kind of have your regular type of media. I always go back to it, but like your Avengers movies are uh, just for watching. Yeah. You almost never really feel too much unless you're just excited and you're like. Yeah, it's like, wow, action. Yeah. That was great. Adrenaline. Yeah. Cool. Whereas in this one, it had a whole feeling it wanted you to, to feel while you're watching it. But also what took it over the top for me was just to see Jake Gyllenhaal as such a creepy and chilling character. This is the kind of movie that when you go and sit in the car and drive home after <laughs> you're it, thinking about it, you're quiet. Yeah. You're very quiet. I remember that too. I remember watching <laughs> it for the first time. I was like, Oh man, what did I just watch? Like, this is fucked yeah. up. And then you really think about it. Um, and that, I think that's what they want it. And it's why so many people love it and highly underrated. So I'd, I'd definitely go and watch it. One of the few I've mentioned on here that I've rated the full 10 <laughs> because it's yeah. just so damn good. And I think it's one of those uh, movies that bends a lot of genres and blends new things together to create something that you won't find elsewhere. I don't think there's been a movie like this since. 
Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Not that I can think of one that has this feel. I feel like in a way, brand new cherry flavor kind yes. of held similar yeah. aesthetic values. And It was uh, also in Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. It's a very unique sort of Los Angeles vibe, dark Los Angeles vibe to it. I prefer that visualization of cities, especially when they're just so dark and like it's gritty. It's terrible for everyone in the city. No, yeah. That was something I had thought about recently is that... I love scenery of nature in daytime. So like Midsommar was a beautifully yeah, movie, beautifully striking movie to me because I feel like there's something about nature that is just meant to be seen. Whereas there's something about cities that is mysterious. You have all of these tall concrete buildings oh, that yeah. obscure everything around yeah. them. And so they're almost more beautiful at nighttime. I feel like I see more of the city at nighttime than I do during the daytime. Yeah, that's fair. There's almost something very unique that you can only see in a city at nighttime. Yeah, that's it's why people will get um, con uh, luxury penthouses and things like that in the city. Yeah, because they want that that view of what I you're know. Seeing at. the city lights at yeah. night is just I don't know. There's something that's very <laughs> special about that. Well, I think we've gotten right to the end. Yeah, we're discussing a bunch of the stuff about media. I I love this movie, so go check it out. Um, before we go. I want to remind everybody, we're super easy to find in all of our, our social medias. You can go and Google us, actually. You can Google Bringing Down the Grindhouse. We're on all of the places that you stream your podcast. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, SoundCloud. If you can, follow us. Make sure you leave a comment, like, subscribe, any one of those that fit because we have YouTube. We've also got TikTok. Yeah, check out our TikTok. We have little bites of our upcoming episodes and past episodes. Um, we also yeah. have our Twitch channel. We do. Where We're on occasion to. we'll be streaming our episodes, which you should definitely tune into those because you can get basically a sneak peek of our right. episodes that will be released as we record our episodes usually at least a week in advance. So if you watch the live stream, you'll get to hear a raw, unedited cut of our podcast yeah if you want to support us financially one we've got our patreon just two dollars a month this helps the podcast keep running helps the podcasters us <laughs> yeah. be able to continue doing the job you know getting ads paying for services things like that we also have our merchandise so if you want to buy a t-shirt with our faces on it a cool mug a hat any one of these things you'll be able to find on the teespring mm -hmm. they're super cute us in chibi form as well as a 32-bit uh, style which yeah. you have to update because you're not on it yet yeah, no. <laughs> we'll have more merch designs yes. coming out in the future we also have our discord where you can come and talk to us directly yeah come hang out with us we are on there pretty regularly we have a lot of discussions going share some of your favorite things of us or cringy memes that you found you can also get we love sharing memes yeah. on discord so this is one of the things we love having with the community and being able to talk about recommendations and things you've watched recently and you can also get regular updates on when we're recording when our next episodes are coming out when we're doing our live streams right and uh i think the last thing is if you can leave a review for us anywhere yeah. you can leave reviews or rating it helps so much with this uh, internet algorithm yeah we really <laughs> appreciate all the listens all the comments and reviews because it does help us push our content out there for everyone else to enjoy as well and we appreciate all the support we receive everyone and thank you for listening to yeah well i'm justine and i'm jonathan thank you so much bye